Good morning, family. This is Shaniqua from the Bronx, New York. And today we're going to be talking about a really touchy subject. It's touchy for a lot of reasons, but the real reason is because it's personal. Um, And the other reason is because it's about children. So I, full disclosure, am a child advocate. I am a licensed social worker in the state of New York and I've spent my entire life defending children, fighting for kids, and um, and building programs for children. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if I even introduced it before, but I do run a nonprofit corporation in New York City that serves a few thousands of kids annually. So one of the things that have been near and dear to my heart has been the racism that's been plaguing our child welfare system. Now, I wanna back up because there's so much to dive into when it comes to this topic, right? Again, I already put the disclosure out there that I am a licensed social worker. I've worked also in child protective services. I've worked with the state for a number of years. I've prosecuted these types of cases or um, don't wanna use the word prosecuted, but I have worked hand in hand to make decisions on whether to indicate cases of child abuse against parents and people working with children. Now, this is really touchy because this kind of stuff have been tearing up black families historically in this country. You know, I'm gonna share um, an article with you really quickly and then I'm gonna start putting some context to this. So here, this is an article from the Washington Post, and um, it reads, before I read it, actually, there's a picture. And in this picture, there is a baby that's being held by its right arm, and there's a slave master holding that baby, and uh, there's the, the mother is on the floor being whipped, and she's crying out for help as her baby is about to be sold. And when I seen this picture, I I started to cry because it really touched my heart. And it it was just it spoke to me because I see the same thing happening today and not in this sense, literally, but we still see it in our child welfare system where our kids are being ripped apart. So I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let me read this article. So it says a mother unleashed a piercing scream as her baby was ripped from her arms during a slave auction. Even as a lash cut her back, she refused to put her baby down and climb atop an auction block. The woman pleaded for God's mercy. Henry Bibb, a former slave, recalled in an 1849 narrative that is part of the Weeping Time exhibit at the Smithsonian Museum of African-American history and culture, which documents the tragic U.S. history of enslaved children being separated from their enslaved parents. The child was torn from the arms of its mothers, of its mother amid the most heart-rending streaks from the mother and child on one hand and the bitter oaths and cruel lashes from the tyrant on the other. Her mother was sold to the highest bidder Enslaved mothers and fathers lived with the constant fear that they or their children might be sold away. 
night and day you could hear men and women screaming ma pa sister or brother take without any warning susan hamilton another witness to a slave auction recalled in a 1938 interview people was always dying from a broken heart so i'm gonna stop there and i know that was a lot to digest and if you're looking at what i'm looking at right now you're i mean i know your reaction if it is not already is it's very um heartbroken right so think about this right when we think about the way our children our black kids specifically black i'm not excluding other groups of people but i need to deal with black children because this is where the real issue lies right so when we look at the way our black kids historically have been treated in the united states of america our kids from the time they were babies they were snatched from their families and they were sold they were treated as property for hundreds of years in this country. I don't know how many of you went to the uh, African-American Museum in Washington, D.C. I would encourage all of you to go. But, you know, I went, I took my daughter, and I think she was about maybe five at the time. And I was struggling with whether I should take her because I, I didn't really wanted to see all of the, the brutal treatment going that had happened, <clears throat> excuse me, in America but I, I knew I needed to teach her history. So as we walked through the museum, um, you know, we saw the chains that they had put on slaves. What was so, you know, what really broke my heart and where I started to cry was when I saw chains, they had made small chains for, for little kids and toddlers and, and babies. How can you chain a toddler or a child? chains on their neck and when I saw that it, you know I I broke down coming from someone that absolutely adores and loves ch children just loves kids seeing a, a chain that was meant for a kid you know and so I want you to think about that think about that for a second I know that we, we we like to sort of brush over certain things in our history we don't like to deal with our dirty laundry in this country we don't like to deal with it we want to suppress it we want to say get over it and you know in reality it takes a long time to heal from something like that especially when it's still being done right so it's sort of like telling someone to heal from something while you're still opening wounds at the same time, how, when, when will those wounds ever get time to heal? So we have to deal with this. We can't ignore it. It is a very touchy subject, but I have to shed light on this because I personally feel responsible for talking about this. Now, historically, we've, I've already said this, our kids, black children have been sold into slavery in this country. Now, I want to move a little bit and, and talk about current day and how our kids have been still separated our child welfare system especially you know in new york is responsible for protecting children and for keeping them safe we have child protective service workers that are responsible for investigating cases of child abuse um, when there are cases that are either called into the state central register right which is the uh, agency underneath new york state office of children and family services that's responsible for also their they have oversight over investigating these cases as well so now you have child protective services that come in and what happens is they target black communities so child protective service workers 
when cases are called in that the, there's a uh, already a misconception or preconceived conception or notion that black children deserve to be separated from their families whether it is a conscious or unconscious um, understanding of that child protective service workers you know whether it's it's in the front of their mind or whether it's buried somewhere in the unconscious live living in our society living in our country is the belief deep down that black kids don't deserve to be with their kids regardless of the fact if we don't address our own bias if we don't stop and address this this system and this situation in ourselves where we'll be the the, the ones that are perpetuating the issue and so we really got to be very careful with this because we'll say we're doing it in the name of the best interest of the child or we're, we're doing it in the name of um helping this child but we really need to start looking at are we doing it with an anti-racist lens right and i'm speaking right now to the child protective service workers to social workers case managers we have a job and a due diligence to investigate cases but when we're investigating cases we can't investigate with the mindset of these this family or this black family is poor or they don't know how to take care of their kids or they're unfit because that has been the mindset of our entire country for so long and now it brings me to this next point there is a disproportionality and disparity of black children in a child welfare system i am not making this up you can go on google and do your own research you know and and find the statistics of how black kids are overrepresented i've been studying this for over a decade you know um like i said it's personal it's very personal my own sister sister and brothers were in foster care when um it, you know they have a different mom but when uh, I was growing up, when I was in high school. And so this is something that has affected my family and not just mine, but so many other families in the United States where kids have been separated and pulled away black kids from their families. Now, there are so many other things that can be done um, to prevent a child from being pulled away and separated from their family. There are preventive services that you can put in place for that family so that you can help strengthen the family unit. There are other resources that you can put into that family to help strengthen that family and whatever aspect that that they need help or where they're lacking. But separating families and black and children, primarily black kids from their family. Now you're dealing with other issues like mental health issues because that child what happens with separation is it create it, it causes trauma traumatization in a child and so that child now being separated goes through this trauma they have to live with it a lot of times kids that are in foster care they talk about the day they were separated it's sort of like what they it lives with them everywhere they go every you know no matter how how whether they go forward or any anywhere in life that that time they were separated from their family it really lives with them and, and they almost never get through it no matter how much counseling or how much services you put in place for that that child now i am not speaking about parents who abuse their kids and who abandon their kids i am not advocating for that but I'm speaking about families that may just need extra support, that may need 
extra help that may need just more guidance and may need the support of our professionals but don't deserve to have their kids taken away. This is um, a very controversial subject. And I welcome your opinions and your comments. Those of you that are social workers, those of you that are parents or educators, I absolutely welcome. And then anyone else, your, um, your comments. But the fact of the matter is I'm not making this up and it is statistically proven. So um, if you go into... Uh, again, Google and you just research for a second how many kids are in the child welfare system that are black right now in the U.S. You, your eyes will be open on this subject. On the other end, the other thing that I want to quickly shed light on is the fact that cases, child abuse cases, when they're and I've seen this and I, you know, I I'm going to tell a story. And, um, it, it is, you know, it's, I'm keeping it anonymous, but I'm going to tell a story about a training that I was actually in. Now, working with the state of New York, I went to, um, we were, you know, we had to go to different trainings with learning how to uh, investigate these type of cases. And there was a, uh, a specific training on uh, whether, you know, whether to, what, how to identify abuse. So whether it's child abuse or not child abuse. Now, the trainer began to tell a story about how she worked at a daycare. And in the story, she said that there was a teacher um, in the daycare that actually took a child and dragged the child by his hair. I think the child was maybe about two years old, dragged the child by his hair and threw the child out the classroom and told him to shut up and be and and, and um and don't come back inside. Now, if any of you can imagine your own child, for those of you that are parents, imagine your child that's two years old being dragged by their hair across the classroom and thrown outside the classroom and, and screamed and yelled at. If any of you can imagine what that what what that what that felt like or for a child or for you to be able to see that. I mean, that sounds insane. So the trainer went on to ask the, the uh, participants, and I was one of them, whether it was abuse or not. I raised my hand and said, absolutely, that was abuse. To my surprise, the trainer then said, that's actually not, that's not abuse. And it did not rise to the level of abuse. In fact, um, that, that case that, you know, that was called in against that teacher it was not indicated, so it was not founded, meaning she was left off the hook. So in my curiosity, you know, I can't let things like this just sit. I'm just, I'm at this point, I'm outraged. I'm like, there's no way that that is not abuse. You mean to tell me you can pull kids by their hair and drag them across floors and that's not abuse? So my curiosity, I raised my hand. I said, excuse me. And at this point, the trainer was already annoyed um, with me. And I said, um, so can you tell me what the race of that teacher was? And she said, oh, yeah, the, the race of the teacher was white. And there it was. There it was. There it was, brothers and sisters. There it was, ladies and gentlemen. This teacher was white. That is why the situation and the obvious scenario of a child being dragged by the hair, which we all know is abuse, was not characterized as abuse. 
And this is what I have seen in my career. I'm not telling you that I am guessing these things. I'm not telling you that I'm speculating these things. I've sat in these positions and made these decisions myself. So I need you to hear me clear and listen up. Because this is what is happening. When cases are called in of abuse and it is against a white person, that case is more likely to be unfounded or not indicated than it is if it's a black person that's called in for abuse. Child Protective Service workers, I've heard stories of how they have um, dealt with black families or black mothers or black fathers, how they have, you know, degraded them and made them feel like they were worthless um, and have tried everything they can to treat them as criminals. This is a huge controversial subject and I can go on and on and on and on, but I don't want to get too, too deep in. So I want to stop and talk now about how can we address this issue? What can we do? What can we do as a, as a society? What can we do as professionals? What can we do as parents, as educators? Okay. So number one, our child welfare system, the same way that our, our police, um, our police force needs to be reformed, our child welfare system needs to be reformed. We need to look at reforming things from the inside out systemically. We have to look at our policies. We have to look at whether policies and practices are matching, whether they're lining up. So we can't say we're pushing for family reunification or we're pushing to keep families together, but we keep tearing them apart. Because if we're stating this and our goals and our policies support it, but in practice it's not happening, there is a disconnect going on there. So we need to make sure that there is accountability for the child welfare system that is supposedly responsible for protecting our children. We have to adopt the anti-racist lens. Yes, I said it, an anti-racist lens. Child protective workers, those that are the commissioner of, ch of child welfare services, anyone that works in child welfare, the child welfare um, system, they need to have some type of sensitivity anti-racism training. They need to understand the, their own bias that they come with and need to be able to separate that from the reality and from the truth. And that is a huge issue there. So I have worked hand in hand with Child Protective Services. I, t I tell you this for over a decade. And I have heard things that I don't even want to repeat coming from the mouths of child welfare, um, child protective um, workers. And, um, you know, and it's really sad because if our job is to advocate for children and families, why are we treating our parents like criminals? You know, I love children, I love young people, but a family involves the parents too. So in order to really help that kids, we also have to help the parents, right? So if our parents need some extra support, our parents need some extra help, we have to be able to provide the resources needed to strengthen that family and strengthen that parent to support that parent and their role and their efforts, whether it's to get them counseling or parenting support or parenting services, or maybe um, some type of stipend to assist them financially, you know, getting to the root cause of the issue. And this is something that needs to happen consistently, not on a case by case, but consistently, we need to be able to support families and parents and their roles. Now, if there is a case where a child needs to be removed from their home, 
because there's imminent danger, absolutely follow protocol, follow protocol. But if the family can just get some services and keep that child in a home, that's what we have to start doing. The other thing we need to do, the way that kids are removed are, is very traumatic. I completely disagree with it. If we're going to have a system in place where kids are removed in, in the case of imminent danger, we cannot traumatize them. The removal process cannot be traumatizing. So bringing police and knocking on doors and screaming and tearing apart kids, there's a better way to do this. There's a better way to do this government. There's a better way to handle this. There's a smooth way that we can do it by involving family members, bringing in aunts and uncles and doing a smooth transition, having the aunt and uncle cleared fast, um, you know, doing their background checks, which is a standard procedure. But the other thing is we have to also make sure that that kid those children if there is a need for removal that they're being placed in the home of a family member not a stranger there is no reason why we should be taking kids from their families to put into a house of a stranger when there's when they already have family members so i'm not talking about kids without family members but we have to do due diligence for the kids that do have family members to locate them and to be able to smoothly remove them and place them with family members if there is a case of imminent danger. So there's so many other solutions to this, but we have to check our own bias. Social workers, we hold power. Child protective workers, we hold power. Don't use your power to criminalize parents and to do the wrong thing. Do your due diligence, do your job but do it with the anti-racist lens. Don't go in there thinking that the family is guilty and to prove it innocent, which is the way our child welfare system operates. You know, there, there are allegations. When you get the allegations, you investigate it. You investigate it with integrity. You investigate it with, with non-bias. Don't come in there with your own bias and don't push your bias through a case. It is very unprofessional. It is also not integral. So we, we have to address our own bias as professionals for those of us that are working directly in this field. And for parents, know your rights. Know your rights. If there is a case against you, you know, cooperate with that child protective worker. Speak to the supervisor, but know your rights at the same time. If you feel like you're being targeted or you feel like they're um, they're targeting you because of your the color because of, of your race or whatever it is or because of your single parent you need to be able to speak up in a respectful way and and there's other steps that you can take and I'll be giving tips about that in a, another podcast but again I started out by saying that this is personal to me and it really is so I want you to to really um, take this in you know as a Number one, I'm a parent. I'm a mother. Number two, I am a child advocate. Number three, I am a licensed social worker in the state of New York. Number four, I've worked in government directly investigating these cases. And so this is not some girl that's just talking and rambling on. Okay, so I need you to really take these things into consideration. And we really have to address this issue. We got work to do. Our kids, it should not be no reason why black kids are overrepresented. You know, and we see the same trend in every system. 
but our black kids, how we have been, how they have been dealt with historically, you know, and taking it even further, those same children, most of those kids that grow up in foster care, they end up in the juvenile justice system. And so they never leave the system. And it's so sad, so sad. It breaks, it really breaks my heart. And so, you know, there's a lot of work to do. Um, and every one of you play a part in it. So I am hoping that this podcast was insightful and that you got something out of it. Share it if you like it. Um, follow me and, um, and stay tuned. Everyone, you, you stay blessed and you be safe. And I wish you all a wonderful day.